Stand by. Hello and welcome to the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist. And now your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Liberal Cube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Liberal Cubicularist. Today, within the Liberal Cube, is Movie Monday. Move over, Monday! It's Movie Monday, which is still technically Monday, but has movie in front of it to indicate that I will speak of movies today. Yeah. Something I like to say at the top of every show, but very important, I find, on Mondays, is that there will be spoilers. Take heed. Take heed of this spoiler warning. Uh, this is probably one of my more important, definitely going to go into top ten of important spoiler warnings, uh, just because this is the first time ever I have brought back a movie that is still in theaters. Uh, uh, a podcast first. Well, not a podcast first, but a this podcast first, anyways. Another thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you subscribe, you rate, you comment, you do that, and it would be very nice of you appreciative of me, of you, I would be. What? Mm, indeed. Last piece of podcast-related midness, of course, is today's sponsor, which is Quark's Bar, Grill, Gaming House, and Hollow Sweet Arcade. Once again, today's sponsor is Quark's Bar, Grill, Gaming House, and Hollow Sweet Arcade. Mmm. Indeed. Indeed a room, even. Okay, so, the movie in question is... Oh, okay, why don't I just say off the bat, uh, this Movie Monday... I only have two movies. What? That is, for a Movie Monday, the least amount of movies I've ever had. However, and it is a big however, one of those movies is Star Trek Into Darkness. Star Trek Into Darkness. There is no colon between Star Trek and Into Dar Darkness. So there's no Star Trek colon Into Darkness. You have to say it all in one quick succession or else you are indicating a colon that does not exist. And I will not stand for unexistent colons being formed into existence by your paws. I will not stand for it. Star Trek Into Darkness. I have seen every Star Trek movie in theaters since probably maybe Star Trek VI, uh, maybe Generations. I'm not quite a hundred percent sure which one. Um, and I think it. Again, this is I'm not a hundred percent sure, uh, but it's always my stepdad and I will go see these movies, such as this one, which we did on the weekend. Sort of a tradition, if you will. I am not a regular going out to see movie person because it's expensive and I don't find the giant screen is worth A, the money or B, the pain of sitting in those seats for, you know, two hours. Whereas I could just watch it at home and be comfortable and laze about. That being said, 
when sort of giant movies such as this come out, I cannot help myself. And Star Trek is a uh, sort of tradition for my stepdad and I. The last movie I saw in theaters with the misses, I believe, was The Avengers, just to sort of give you an idea of the last movie I saw in theaters. And I was trying to figure out before The Avengers what movie I saw in theaters, and I believe it was Star Trek, the, uh, the first remake. So that is why, my friends, the spoiler warning is most important, because I'm sure a lot of you have not seen this yet. Hmm. Oh, there you go. Okay, why don't I uh, hop right in and see what we see, or rather what we hear, as this podcast is more of a audio than visual medium. Mm-hmm. The movie starts with you sitting in the theater. No, that's how it could start. Uh, it starts with Kirk and Bones are in a sticky situation. Mm-hmm. Not literally. Well, no, not literally. They are running for their lives. That's a good way to start a movie with with some of the main characters running for their lives. Yeah, I like it. They're running from sort of a uh, primitive race. So they're on a planet that is sort of just out of the Stone Age. And um, they're being chased by the inhabitants of this planet and um, trying to be murderized by them. That is not good. Another thing that is not good is that is that already, sort of right off the bat, they are breaking the Prime Directive. If you are unfamiliar with Star Trek, and I hope you are not, because it is awesome, the Prime Directive sort of forbids people within Starfleet from interfering with races that do not yet have warp capabilities. That's basically your number one goal. Do not interfere. The very fact that they have been spotted by this primitive race is in itself interference. So, not good. Hmm. The reason they're on this planet is because uh, there is a volcano on it that is in the process of erupting, and it is such a large volcano that it will destroy the planet. I don't know if, sort of geologically speaking, that is scientifically sound, that a volcano can be so large to destroy an entire planet. It seems a little far-fetched to me. <laughs> Transporters, I believe, and phasers, sure, no problem. But a really big volcano? I don't think so. Uh, Spock has devised a plan where he will go into the volcano and set off this sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of strange bomb that will settle it down. Almost like throwing an uh, antacid into your gullet to settle your acid reflux, if you will. Why he has to go into it to set off this? Uh, again, one of those sort of not-making-sense things that if they just sent down, I guess, like a flying drone would be much less more interesting. Much less, much less more interesting. Yeah, I said that. I don't know what it means. So he's down there, and then sort of the tether that is tethering him to the ship, not the ship, to a shuttlecraft breaks, so he's stuck and going to die. The only way to save him is if um, Kirk and Bones get back on board the Enterprise, which is hiding under the waves near these uh, primitive inhabitants. But if they surface, the primitive inhabitants will then see their giant friggin' spaceship, which is... See, they've already broke the Prime Directive, so why not break it a little further? Uh, it's the only way to save Spock, because 
they can beam him aboard, however, because of the volcanic uh, electromagnetic interference, they need a line of sight. So it's one of those things that sort of a sci-fi allows you to do, that you can sort of make up technical details to add drama and excitement. So, um, Spock is saved, yay, not dead, that's always nice. And uh, they head back to Earth, where they are in deep doo-doo. Especially Kirk, because he is the boss, duh. So they take his ship away. Oh no, Captain Kirk lost the Enterprise. No longer Captain. They said, no, no, you're not ready for this. Who said it? Captain Pike. Uh, if you are familiar with Star Trek the original series, you may remember Captain Pike. He was actually, he was actually the first, how do I say this? He was the first recorded onto television captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the, the pilot episode of Star Trek, the original series, was not with Captain Kirk. It was not, it was not with William Shatner. It was with another actor. I forget what his name is. Uh, they later used that pilot episode in a, in a regular episode of the series and called him Captain Pike. He was sort of in an accident, disfigured and uh, immobilized and had this wheelchair that could sort of scoot around. And if you asked it questions, one blinking light was yes, two were no. <laughs> I bet you now we could have more. Well, look at Stephen Hawking, for example. He not able to move or speak and yet can with the aid of technology. So even now we are more advanced in that area than they thought we would be back then in the future. What? Yeah, that makes sense. Anyways, he exists in this universe. He is given back the, the Enterprise to command. Although, not for long. Because a bomb explodes within one of the Starfleet, kind of how they describe it, just sort of like a, a records library, something like that, it explodes. It turns out that was sort of just a ruse to get everyone together because it's apparently was on the books. One of the Starfleet rules that if a bomb blows up in any one of their buildings, then they all gather in a specific area. Hmm. All the, all the head muckety mucks. So that is sort of apparently like common knowledge. So the trick was to get them all together so they can be blown the shit out by the bad guy. Hmm. Played by Mr. Cumberbatch. What's his first name again? I didn't write it down. Benedict Cumberbatch? Cumberbun? Cumberbatch? So he flies in there on this, uh, I don't know, thing, and blows the shit out of the meeting they're having, and kills Captain Pike. Captain Pike was sort of a mentor to James Kirk, uh, really looked up to him, called him son, sort of a father figure, set him on the straight and narrow path. So Kirk then is given back the ship in order to trace down trace down the bad guy, played by Mr. Cumberbatch. Uh, this was another sort of sticky point here. Um, Kirk took out the bad guy's ship by throwing something in the engine, sort of at the last minute, Cumberbatch beamed out of his ship and beamed out to the planet Kronos, which is where the uh, Klingons are from. 
So that was sort of a little sticky point for me because long-range transportation did not exist in the original series. Uh, and when it did, it was very uh, dangerous, and yet now it suddenly does exist. It had something to do with how Scotty invented it, and there was some, some reason that didn't quite make sense. But I didn't like it. It didn't quite fit for me. The ability to transport over such crazy long distances at will. Mm, doesn't sit well. Not to mention the fact that he had a portable version of this. So portable trans transportation devices don't exist at all, and yet here's one that can send you from planet to planet. Mm -hmm. Needed it for the story, but I didn't like it. I didn't like that. Uh, so then it's sort of a mission of revenge for Captain Kirk, and he wants to get this bad guy and, and kill him. Yeah, no matter what gets in his way. So uh, Starfleet Academy, specifically the new head muckety-muck, Admiral... I'm going to call him Admiral Robocop, because it is the actor who played Robocop. Hmm. He has a plan to send a bunch of uh, newly designed photon torpedoes, sort of long-range versions that could be fired from... This is another thing they added. Uh, photon torpedoes that could be fired from very, very far away. Uh, cannot be traced. So their plan is because the bad guy, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch is uh, in an un uninhabited area of the Klingon homeworld, they're going to fire a shit ton of these things at him. Uh, Scotty is like, no, 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 I'm having none of this. I don't know what's in these torpedoes. They're all shielded. If, if you bring them on board and fire them, it could blow up the whole ship. So he quits. Yeah, Scotty quits in this movie, if you can believe it. He, cu he couldn't take much more of it, you could say. So he's uh, left behind on Earth. Huh. Kirk is sort of dead set on letting these loose and killing him. However, everyone is kind of like, oh, don't do that. It's not good. It's not moral. He eventually is sort of turned to the to the light side and not the dark side mm -hmm. uh, and decides, no, they're going to try to capture the bad guy first rather than just outright blow him up without giving him any sort of trial. So they make their way to this planet where the bad guy is located. And while there, they are sort of ambushed by Klingons, Klingons and are going to be killed imminently, however, are saved. Huh. Because this bad guy, Mr. Cumberbatch, is so goddamn good at fighting and shooting and just sort of uh, ultra-human-y abilities to kick ass, saves the day. However, learns of these missiles aimed at them and gives up. Huh. Says, okay, well, I give up. Nothing I can do. They take him back to the ship, and this is where things get interesting. Not that they weren't interesting before but where they get really interesting. You're sort of typical, now it seems, nowadays, man behind bars, taunting, talking to the good guys. Um, behind bars, in this case, of course, is a sort of glass enclosure. <laughs> I've, I've seen this made fun of a lot lately, from Magneto to Silence of the Lambs to Loki to now this, just, just bad guys in glass enclosures. 
he tells his story to Captain Kirk. His story is, I guess, most importantly, I will stop calling him Cumberbatch and call him by his proper name, which is Khan. Yes, that one. Friggin' Khan. I, despite my best efforts at trying to avoid spoilers and not watching any trailers for this movie, I did kind of know or had heard rumors that he was playing Khan. I never heard anyone confirm it one way or the other, but I did hear that rumor. So I wish I hadn't of, because then I would have been truly blown away. I was just medium blown away. Medium degree of blown awayness. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with Khan, you poor bastard. Uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, is the movie that I have seen more than any other movie in the history of all movies. Period. So to see the second Star Trek remake also revisit Khan as a bad guy was very, very uh, fitting and also loved it. Yeah, underline that. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan was awesome. Yeah, just just amazing. Did, did an amazing job. Uh, up there with Ricardo Montalban, who uh, played the first one, definitely. So in the original Star Trek, Khan does not come along until sort of probably four or five years into the future. Uh, however, as we know, this Star Trek universe is sort of an alternate one, which, uh, which is why he was sort of alive and awake already. He was frozen, frozen from um, hundreds of years ago during a, uh, a war in which... Uh, genetically enhanced humans fought regular humans. Uh, we learn at this point that uh, Admiral Robocop was the one who had awakened them. Awakened them because he thought they would then fight for the humans against aliens as aliens start to encroach on human beings. Because he was scared. He thought, okay, these people will help us. However, uh, that wasn't quite the case. He woke up Khan first with the sort of, uh, I don't know if you call it bribery or threats, that uh, if Khan did not help human beings to, uh, to protect themselves from aliens, he would then kill the other 72 uh, genetically enhanced, cryogenically frozen human beings. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I should say at this point that I'm at work, but I will also say the genetically modified frozen human beings, the remaining 72, were in fact uh, trapped, frozen within those missiles that I told you about, the fancy new photon torpedoes. What? Okay, so uh, I'm going to come back after eight hours and polish this off, because it's taking longer than I thought it would. Blow you, dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. 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 We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Eight hours of work completed on a Monday, no less. It did, for a Monday, go by quickly. Thus ends Jordan's work talk. Thus begins, or re-begins, if you prefer, Movie Monday. Did not... <laughs> 100% accurately remember where I left off this morning. I'm going to assume it's where we find out the bad guy was Khan. And Khan went over to the Dreadnought-classed 
Dreadnought-class ship with Kirk in order to take it over from Admiral Robocop. Ooh, that's exciting. As Khan does, because he is a bastard, he double-crosses everyone and takes control of the ship. Oh, the bastard. The bastard. Spock is, I guess, sort of aware of this because he talked to Spock. What does that mean? Uh, if you are unfamiliar with this Star Trek universe, Spock, old old man Spock, exists within it. Um, yeah. Hmm. As in Leonard Nimoy exists within this universe. So, there's that fact. So he talks with new Spock and sort of lets him in on, despite the fact that he took a vow never to interfere again. <laughs> uh, pretty light on his Vulcan vow. Uh, lets him in on the fact that Khan is an asshole and will betray you. Which is why um, new Spock sort of takes the initiative to take out all the frozen bodies from the uh, photon torpedoes, and then uh, I was going to say he fills them with bombs, but they already were bombs, so just sort of arms them, I think is a way we can look at it. So that way, when Khan is all like, hey, listen, Spock, you send over those torpedoes right now, or I'm going to kill the captain. Uh, do it. So Spock's like, Yes, I will. And because he's a Vulcan, he cannot lie. Khan's all like, hey, Spock, I know you're a Vulcan and you can't lie. So tell me that those are actually my torpedoes that you're going to beam over. And Spock is all like, yes, they are your torpedoes. <laughs> and then he giggled. No, he didn't actually giggle. Because then the jig would have been up that they weren't actually filled with Khan's crewmates. Would have been funny if he had a giggle, though. And, and Khan just ignored his giggle. <laughs> Maybe in an alternate version. Outtakes. So Khan then decides to double-cross this deal he made, and because he is a supervillain, decides that uh, sort, sort of a poetic justice will be to beam Kirk and Scotty and the hot girl. I haven't really even mentioned her. Um... Admiral Robocop's daughter uh, snuck aboard the Enterprise, which is why they weren't totally blown to smithereens in the first place. She's like, no, Papa, I'm on board. You can't, you can't do this. So that explains that enough. God, she was pretty smoking hot. One scene just total for no other reason than to get her into her bra and panties existed within this movie. I think... Even just so they could, like, put it on the box cover. I assume it will be on the box cover. I don't know. But I've seen this picture, this uh, picture of her in this friggin' seven-second scene that they're sort of using to indicate that this ain't your granddaddy's Star Trek. It's been sexied up a little. So then uh, we sort of cut to a scene where this Dreadnought-class starship, which was pretty huge, like, two, maybe three times the size of the Enterprise and just armed to the teeth is not quite destroyed, but destroyed to the point where it and the Enterprise are hurtling towards Earth. Now, this is another strange sort of, for some reason, this ship hurtling towards Earth is not going to utterly destroy it. Maybe it had power, actually. Maybe I'm jumping to Whereas the Enterprise has no power 
hurtling towards Earth. It's going to uh, burn up in the atmosphere if they can't restore power to the engines. And the only way to do this is the only way uh, it was done in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and that is for someone to go into sort of the, the power core and reset something, all right? Some technical mumbo-jumbo reason to get a member of the crew in there, despite the fact that they will be killed in saving the ship, all right? All right. Uh, in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, it was, of course, Spock. He then died, and then through friggin' crazy craziness came back in Star Trek Three. I will say that the way they brought Kirk back after he died, and I will say he did die, um, made somewhat more sense. Kind of. Sort of. Sort of, kind of. It was kind of cool that they took these two movies and then sort of switched the characters that died within them. I very much like that idea and how it all played out. Very, very smart writing for that part of it. However, the way in which they saved Kirk kind of did not make 100% sense for me. Uh, let me explain. Khan escapes this crashing of this giant ship somehow. I guess because he's like a superhuman. Uh, and then there's a cool scene of sort of Spock chasing him down. Now, he is chasing him down because his Vulcan blood is all sort of pumped up to the max. And he wants revenge for... Uh, as he believes, Kirk's death. Now, on board the ship, they're sort of mourning Kirk, uh, and then Captain... Oh, Captain. Then Bones McCoy is sort of sitting there. He's pretty sad. He's, he hasn't had a good day. And a Tribble, which is basically just a furry ball of furry flesh, uh, comes back to life because it was infused with Khan's blood. Aha! We say at this point. Why don't? They get Khan's blood and put it in Captain Kirk, who just died. That'll save them. Apparently, it is his genetically enhanced blood that will uh, allow them to bring Kirk back to life. Yes. Yes. So now we have to let Spock know to not kill Khan, but rather incapacitate him and bring him back. Okay? Now, here's the sort of flaw in that quote-unquote logic. Uh, I should say maybe somehow they explained around this, and I just didn't catch it. Maybe that's the case, although I don't think they did. Uh, why could they not have just taken the blood of one of the other 72 genetically modified human beings they had on board and put it into Captain Kirk? Why did they have to go through the, the expense and difficulty? And it was not easy, as you can imagine, capturing Khan. Despite Spock being a Vulcan and super strong, this other friggin' genetically engineered human, he's a tough cookie. So uh, that was actually a good battle between the two of them. And I liked how uh, another thing they did was whenever Kirk went up against Khan sort of physically, he would basically get his ass handed to him. So uh, sort of emphasize the fact that he is above and beyond, sort of above and beyond. With the help of Uhura who sort of beams into the fray and shoots Khan repeatedly with a phaser, almost not phasing him. <laughs> uh, they do eventually capture him, bring him back, inject Kirk with his blood, which then saves him. After sort of two weeks of recuperation, 
de-radiation isoning him. And uh, they all live happily ever after, including, possibly, Khan, who they refroze at this point, which I don't think is smart, because, you know, at some point someone's going to come along and these folk are going to be refrozen. At the very least, what if there's, like, a power outage at the where they're all frozen and they get unfrozen mistakenly? Not good. Do they set it up to have Khan come back? I don't think he will, but uh, I kind of like knowing that the possibility exists that he could. Huh. Well, there you go. Uh, rating. Ah, I'm going to go. It's kind of tough. Uh, I almost thought going into this podcast and me talking about this, that uh, this was going to be an easy 5 out of 5 rating for me. But uh, I don't think it is, actually. I think I'm sort of kind of leaning towards doing this, which is something I've sort of done from time to time. Uh, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5 with some 5 out of 5 moments. Uh-huh. Overall 4 out of 5 with the odd sort of 5 out of 5, this is the best movie ever moments, but not throughout. Okay? That is allowed, and I'll tell you why that is allowed that I do that. Um, it's my podcast, and I rate how I want to, rate how I want to. You would rate how you wanted to, too, if you had a podcast, too. Blah. Okay, <laughs> I better just fit in, before I get home, Identity Thief, which, I should say, was a very good movie, and very funny. Uh, it sort of sucks for it, in that it got it. It got uh, watched in the same weekend as Star Trek, because I'm obviously not going to have as much time to focus on it. Uh, the misses hounded me for friggin' months to to get this movie so we could watch it. Uh, she even admitted going in that her hopes were high. I said, whatever you do, don't go into a movie with high hopes. She said, I don't care, I'm going in with high hopes. So uh, I will give out her rating because I don't rarely, or I don't think I've ever done this, I asked what she would give it out of five, and she said three out of five. So for her to give a movie three out of five, uh, that's very, very good. I don't think she would give any movies four or five out of five, really. Three out of five for her is, is a very high on the rating scale. For me, a three out of five is used for uh, enjoyed while watching, but would not watch again which uh, I think I'm going to use here. I, I did definitely enjoy it while watching. There was definitely some funny moments, but I don't think it's a, a comedy that I'm going to revisit. I don't plan to do so anyway. So the movie's about Sandy Patterson, played by Mr. Jason Bateman. Now, on this note, I want to say, regarding Jason Bateman in this movie and in anything he is in, he is the best underlined straight man ever. Uh, ever? Mm, trying to think better. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna go that for for because I can't think of another, and I don't have time to think. And uh, I'm really feeling it. Really feeling it that he is the best straight man ever. In 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 this in Arrested Development, which I just brought back on a special TV Tuesday. In all comedy movies, he he kind of plays sort of the same character. A little bit, to some degree. But that character uh, allows the, the funny man, or in this case, woman, to shine so incredibly much more than they would other otherwise. I think 
if Jason Bateman was not the sort of uh, the, the straight man in this movie opposite um, Melissa McCartney, who plays a girl by the name of Diana, uh, Melissa McCartney would not have been half as funny. So he really, really, you need him to be a straight man to make your funny man funnier. And, it, and it's amazing, just mind-boggling how good he had, he is at that. And it's sort of a hard thing to to capture and describe. It's a lot of it is just in the face, the, the stone face, the not-moving face. A lot of it's the tone. And uh, I think the reason why I say his characters in movies are quite often the same is... It's sort of a slow burn. Like he will start at sort of sort sort of one degree, and then sort of slowly ramp up until he has sometimes developed a, a craziness to be on par with the funny and crazy people in the movie. So uh, usually in a sort of sort of explosion, a sort of breaking point within the movie, and I like it despite the fact that. He does it often, he does it well. Uh, so the movie, as you can imagine, is about how Melissa McCartney steals the identity of Jason Bateman. Because his name, Sandy Patterson, is a sort of unisex name. <laughs> a sort of an ongoing joke throughout the movie that people make fun of his girly name. He points out, rightly so, Sandy Koufax. There you go, right off the bat. Uh, <laughs> I felt for him because with a name like Jordan, god damn it, I am not a fan of the name Jordan. No, I am not. Definite has that unisex ability to it. And I think, not so much when I was growing up, so at least I dodged that bullet, but more so nowadays, uh, girls are being named Jordan more often. So, damn that. Damn that fact. I was uh, wished that I had a one-syllable man's name. I like the one-syllable, sort of hits you. If I had to choose... I think I would go Gus. Gus Maywood. Or no, no, no. Even better? Mac. M-A-C. Mac Maywood. Yeah. I like that one the best. So, I'm not sure how much this movie makes sense, because Jason Bateman is sort of... The only way to get his name cleared is to travel from Colorado to Florida to capture, sort of talk into coming back with him Melissa McCartney's character in order to clear his name. That seems a little ridiculous. Hmm. It is a comedy movie, so there's got to be some, I guess, uh, suspension of disbelief. But when the, the whole plot is a kind of suspension of disbelief, that I have a little bit of a problem with. A wee bit. Uh, and then the movie turns into uh, really the easiest way, and I think the best way even, to boil it down is it's a buddy road trip movie. Yeah. And I love a road trip movie. I love a buddy movie. You put them both together. Uh, the only difference is normally it's a couple of guys. This time, man and a woman. Nothing wrong with that. And there was a lot of laughs. That's why... Did I already get my rating? I think I did. I think I said three. But I will say, with a little asterisk there, definite some four move, four, uh, four moments in this as well. Uh, what did I write down? There's a beginning... I, I just wrote down some of the, the sort of big names, quote-unquote, in this movie, because they were all very, very funny and very, very good. Uh, Jean... Jean... Jean Favreau plays his asshole boss at the beginning of the movie, and then John Cho, which I wrote down for the reason that 
John Cho decides to leave the company that uh, they both work for and start his new company. Uh, I wrote it down for that reason, and also because I only watched two movies this weekend, and both of them had John Cho in it. Uh, he plays, as you probably know, Sulu in the Star Trek Into Darkness. No colon. Then uh, one of the bad go. One of the bad guys chasing them across country is Robert Patrick. Very, very much like that because, well, A, he was friggin' awesome in this movie. Stole the show in some scenes. And B, he, uh, is, he played Terminator, a Terminator, in the movie Terminator 2. Oh, just on that note, Amazon deal of the day up here in Canada last week, uh, I got the entire Terminator anthology in Blu-ray for $18. What? So, just, uh, that is, I guess, is a kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of warning that it will be brought back for a movie Monday, and I'm thinking even next one, because I have a long weekend coming up. Anniversary long weekend, no less. Lastly, name that I wrote down, that is, is Eric Stone Street, who played, uh, you may know as one of the gay dads from Modern Family. He played a... He had a really good role. Uh, cowboy, um, pimp daddy. Uh, no, that's not right. He didn't play gay. Played played a straight man. Yeah. Had sex with Melissa McCartney. I think that is a good spot to end this podcast. What I'm going to want you to do for the end of this podcast is to picture Melissa McCartney and Mr. Stone Street having sex. Enjoy. I will also say, though, almost forgot, that it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Lackadaisical Libra Cubicle Wrist. We here in the Libro Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come and be. Won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine. Live long and prosper.